I looked down at her, both of us just skin and bone and thin little breaths. What's left of me, staring at what's left of her. January 30th, six months ago to the day, I am absurdly happy. I'm adapting a book I love into a screenplay for an Oscar-winning producer. My husband, Paul, is my best friend. And tomorrow we're putting in a bid to buy our first home. Most of all, I'm Mia's mom, the wise, funny, sparkling Mia, who still wants lullabies and butterfly kisses each night. My mother is flying in tomorrow to visit. Mia hasn't seen her booby in two years. It's a cold, gray day. Mia woke early with a sore throat and fever. I made her favorite soup before I left because I know I'll be working past her bedtime tonight for the first time in her life. The story outline of the screenplay is due tomorrow. The book I'm adapting is beautifully written, but has no dramatic structure, no story to film. Creating one has been my task. It tells of a woman who has lost a child and found herself in another world, foreign and hostile. Mia calls my office twice to tell me she loves me. There's something in her voice, subtle. It's not her usual comfort me sick voice. This voice is tender, as if I am the one in need of comfort. She calls again at nine in the evening to ask for a lullaby. I've sung them to her across the nation. Hushabye, my little darling, and I'll see you in the morning. I have no idea. I drive home after midnight, feeling such a sense of good fortune. I'm pleased with what I've written. I'm buying a house tomorrow. I have the weekend free to spend with my family. The rain has cleaned L.A.'s dirty sky, and the moon and stars are brilliant. As I walk to my back door, I see that Mia's bedroom window is open, the one by her bed. It's freezing outside. I come in asking Paul about her. He's still at his drafting table. He's a graphic designer and has a deadline tomorrow, too. I checked her twenty minutes ago. She's sound asleep. With the window open? He looks up from his drawing, puzzled. Of course not. We walk back to check on her, wondering if she opened it because of her fever. Her room is dark, ice cold. The curtains billow softly at the open window. Paul goes to shut the window as I go to her bed to check her forehead. But she's not there. Paul, where's Mia? Paul checks her bathroom. She's not in here. We're suddenly a tornado of fear and sound, hollering Mia... Mia! Mia! Slapping on lights, whipping through rooms and closets. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, she's gone. Someone's taken her. Someone's kidnapped my daughter, my baby girl. The laws of physics and biology change. Air thickens, has substance like oil. Light is suddenly crystalline, astringent. My pupils screw down. Paul falters and sits on the bed like a dropped marionette. I run to call the police, but nothing cooperates. Bowels and knees collapse, lungs shrink, lips move, but my tongue is sand, useless. I can't stand up or walk, but suddenly I can float. From above, I see this, a Polaroid by Hieronymus Bosch, a tableau with two figures agonized and contorted, reduced to an animal state. We see it at the same time on her desk, in her tiny writing. 
My call to the police will be different. No one has taken Mia. She has taken herself. I can't breathe. Dear Mommy and Paul, please read this with an open mind and don't freak out or worry. I need to experience real life. People out there are more real. They'll take care of me. I'll be okay. I have a Swiss Army knife and mace. Please don't feel guilty. I couldn't have asked for better parents. I'm not freaking out. I'm wild. I am dancing with shock. I'm terrified. What people? What life? Out where? This is madness, delusion. It's the fever. She's lost her mind. My precious child is alone on the streets with a Swiss Army knife and no mind. Back off, rapist with HIV. Go away, drifter with a blunt object. I have a retractable cork.